Uh, good morning and welcome to Hope Community Church. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the elders here at Hope, and today I get to open the word for us. Uh, and uh, you know, excited for this. Um, we are in a series on Romans. Uh, if you've been here, you know that. Uh, if not, we are about halfway through. No, not quite. Getting close to halfway through the book of Romans, uh, taking it piece by piece. And uh, uh, it's been really good. It's been uh, challenging and convicting and encouraging and so many different things to me as, as uh, I've been able to um, listen to Drew and others uh, preach in this series. So uh, continuing that here this morning, uh, as we get into this, uh, our section right now that we just started up here uh, just after Labor Day, our section in the book of Romans, uh, really is looking at how then do we live? What does the gospel mean for us in our day-to-day, our week-to-week, or month-to-month? How do we live according to this good news? Um, and uh, so we're in the middle of that. And uh, we say this every week because uh, there really are some good resources uh, online on the Hope uh, website, uh, fantastic. Even if you just want to like go back and what did Drew say last week, or what was that message, or you know, uh, check back in on things. There's Bible study, small group stuff. There's devotionals. Uh, there's a podcast that uh, Steve, our downtown pastor, uh, is uh, has on there. Uh, looking at Romans. I'm sorry, this is uh, not cooperating. I'm not made for my big ears. Um, we actually call them Robertson ears in my house. They're like sales, uh, and they get bigger and bigger uh, as we get older. Um, anyways, uh, check out the podcast. It's great. And then in the lobby, if you haven't grabbed one, we have these uh, scripture journals of the book of Romans. One page, left-hand side is scripture. The right hand is just space for notes. Uh, you can use it as we go through the sermon series, or you can uh, use it for your own uh, devotional um, purposes. So uh, if you're here last week, uh, today's passage actually is going to sound and feel uh, very similar. Drew, as he was uh, looking at commentaries and other stuff to send my way, he said he had a hard time finding commentaries that didn't actually lump the whole of chapter 6 together, uh, just in terms of what it's communicating. So um, we're not going to be too redundant. Drew and I actually met like two weeks ago to make sure that uh, we didn't say the exact same thing two weeks in a row. Um, but it really is a continuation of Paul's thoughts from last week from uh, verses 1 through 14 in chapter 6. Uh, and so we're going to quick look back at that uh, and, and just uh, remind ourselves where we just were. Uh, so this is 6, 1 through 14. Uh, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Um, So Paul brings some significant questions, or one significant question uh, to the forefront, right? What does life in Christ look like? Uh, He had uh, people that accuse him and accuse Christians of uh, living licentiously, living uh, lives of indulgence. They, they, they saw the idea of grace, 
of forgiveness, of acceptance by God through the death of Christ. And they thought, well, if we're covered by grace, you can just do whatever you want, right? Whatever you want is fine. Grace covers it. Uh, and, and so Paul had heard this from various people, various places. And so he's answering this pretty clearly by no means, um, right? If we know the power of the gospel and the uh, fullness of God's grace, we understand that we can't continue living in sin in that same way. Um, so he's bringing out this popular misconception from his time and from ours. Uh, I think our culture does this in a little different way. They're maybe not asking this directly, saying, you know, well, you got grace, so do what you want. But I think you can look around and, and see different voices, different perspectives, different people are saying, you know, uh, you can kind of do what you want. Uh, it's okay. The grace covers it, right? Um, and uh, Paul, last week's message, he really goes to the issue of identity, right? Dead and alive, two incompatible realities, right? You were dead and now you are alive, two completely different things. Uh, and that's Paul's basis for the rejection of that idea, right? That you can just keep on sinning because grace is there. He's like, no, you're no longer that same person. You are someone new in Christ. Um, and uh, God's grace is so big. It doesn't just forgive us. It changes us. Uh, from the inside out, right? Uh, they had a quote from Tim Keller here. When a non-Christian non sins, they're acting in accord with their identity, with who they are. Why wouldn't they sin? But when someone is united to Christ, everything changes because who they are changes. There is a new me. When a Christian sins, they're acting against their identity. Why would they sin? Therefore, if I sin, it is because I do not realize who I am. I have forgotten what has been done for me in Christ. I'm not living out that identity of new person in Christ. Um, so Paul makes it abundantly clear, this issue of identity here in verse 11, right? So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Uh, he's reminding the Romans, his readers, uh, you're something new, you're something different, and you need to remember that. It's easy to, to kind of forget that. It's easy to live in a way that doesn't actually line up with who you are in Christ. Um, so he, he really is bringing that out. The contrast between life and death uh, is so, like, that, there's no middle ground there, right? Uh, so when you're in Christ, it's something entirely different. Um, and uh, we're not dead in sin, but we're alive in Christ, right? And so that's, he gives that by no means, such a uh, strong response. Um, and so we're going to continue here now. Uh, verse 15, we're going to pick up today. Uh, what then? Are we to sin because we are not? I got a different version in my notes than I have on there. So I'll, I'll read what you're seeing. <laughs> what then? Shall we sin because we not, are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, 
you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, Paul once again begins with that rhetorical question, right, about sin in our lives. Um, and uh, he, uh, he has an understanding of the power and depth of God's grace and the fullness of forgiveness uh, that is different than what people are assuming. People think because God's grace is so big and forgiveness is so complete, right, uh, there, people could assume, well, it's no big deal to continue sin, right? I got that forgiveness over here, so I'm just going to live my life. Uh, but that's not the case. So Paul, last week, he used the fundamental change in our identity from death to life to show how sin actually is incompatible with the life in Christ. Uh, today's passage, it also has some identity things uh, regarding slavery and obedience and those things, but uh, it's really... Um, much more about the orientation of our hearts, right? Uh, where do we get our marching orders? Uh, who are we attuned to? Who are we listening to and obeying? Um, and uh, so we're going to look through these things uh, one more time here. A um, couple things just to kind of pay attention. There's some language in here that uh, we don't maybe use every day and some imagery that we don't quite understand. Um, and, uh, but it's intentional in Paul's use of it, right? That The idea of slavery uh, in America, our history uh, with this word, with this reality, with this horror, uh, is profoundly marking of how our culture uh, looks still today, right? And so we have perceptions, conceptions of what this might mean uh, that probably aren't exactly aligned with, with what Paul is getting at, right? Um, but the concept remains the same, right? The, the different shades of slavery, and, and it was different in Roman times, and people entered it under different circumstances. It wasn't race-based necessarily. A whole lot of, there's all sorts of great resources on what slavery was and wasn't at this time. Um, and those are important things to look into. Uh, but the primary point here isn't an examination of slavery, but it's actually an examination of the idea of obedience, where are our hearts turning to for instruction? So he talks about obedience. Uh, and it's interesting. He talks about slaves to sin. And then the second one, obedience to obedience. You kind of see it right there in the middle. Uh, it's kind of a, a goose, goofy concept, right? I'm obedient to obedience to righteousness. Um, that imagery, though, we're going to come back to that of, of slavery, of ruler, of master, of who we follow, who we're listening to, who gets to say how our life should look, right? Um, another thing here in these, this passage, uh, 
there's no middle ground. Last week, it was death and life. There's no middle ground between death and life. What Paul is saying here is, is really, really clear as well. There's no middle ground in terms of obedience. He says you're either obedient to sin or you're obedient to God, to righteousness, right? Um, he's not, we don't kind of carve out a neutral territory and kind of pick, well, I'll do this and I'll do this. It's we're in one place or we're in another. Um, there's no middle ground. Uh, and then uh, one other thing that, that uh, we see here. So he talks about these realities of slavery, of obedience, of worship, really, of service, where, where that's playing out in our lives. Um, he, uh, in the middle here, he's not taking a dig at the Romans, I don't think. Uh, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. It sounds like a little bit of like a, uh, it sounds like a little bit of a slam, right? Like you're kind of a a little dim. So let me, uh, dumb this down for you. Uh, he's saying that because this is so important for his readers to understand, for us to understand Uh, He wants to make sure that he uses an image, a metaphor, and communicates this in a way that people understand how profoundly important this is to how they live. Um, So he talks about it with this imagery of slaves to lawlessness or slaves to righteousness. Um, And the last thing in these verses I want to highlight here uh, is the wages. What's the outcome? Where does this go? If we're either one or the other, we're either going to receive this outcome or this outcome. There's no kind of in-between again, right? And so the wages of sin is death, right? We probably, many of us are familiar with that verse, but he lays this out, right? What's the fruit? What is the outcome? What are you experiencing in sin or in righteousness? And there again, there's such a stark contrast. One is death and one is life. Uh, those are the only outcomes for our obedience, right? For our following uh, God or following sin. It's either death or it's life. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit here. Why, why does Paul use this language? Uh, slavery in Roman times didn't look like what it does in our current world. It didn't look like uh, what American history uh, shows us. Um, but the imagery is powerful just the same uh, because it does kind of have a visceral reaction. Even back then, the idea of slavery, that's servitude, that's submission, that's giving up of yourself to someone else, that's coming under their rule, coming under their authority. You're, uh, you're, you're left without recourse for yourself uh, because you're following the orders, the, the ideas, the whatever else of, of this... Uh, this master. So Paul's using this language because uh, he needs his readers to understand the underlying spiritual reality, right? There is no middle ground. Uh, and Paul uses slavery and obedience as a master to provide a clear picture uh, of what goes on in all of our hearts. Uh, whether you're a believer or not, you're obedient to something. You're serving something. Your heart is oriented to something and responds and reacts to uh, life because of that. Um, and uh, the idea behind this, you've maybe heard this in other places, other sermons, other books, but humans, 
We're, we're made for worship. We're creatures of worship. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, built into them was this relationship with a loving, powerful, almighty God who wanted to nurture and protect and provide and all these things and wanted worship from human beings. Uh, we're made to serve. In the garden, God gave tasks to Adam and Eve, to name the animals, to have dominion, to shepherd and steward over all of creation, right? We're made to serve in a certain way. And so without God in the picture, uh, our obedience, our impulses, our addictions, our idols bubble up in myriad ways, right? Uh, and, and we chase after those things. We are obedient to those things in ways. Uh, and we think we're hoping, we're praying, we're wishing they might give us some purpose, some identity, some comfort. Um, here's a great quote from uh, Rebecca Manley Pippert. Uh, Whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. And you could take that uh, same phrase, that same sentence, whoever seeks, fill in the blank, is controlled by blank, right? And, and you can go kind of take an inventory in your own head or heart and like, oh, I know I've had this struggle or I know this kind of uh, speaks to my fears or my wishes. I know that this is something that... Uh, that was what place where sin has showed up in my life. And uh, that, that same sentence, whoever seeks fill in the blank is controlled by that, right? Our motivation is for that thing, that thing we long for, that thing we're looking for. And from the garden, from the beginning, God's intention was that we would seek him as Lord, as master, as savior, right? Um, so no one's in control of their life. Uh, we end up controlled by those things that we uh, offer our lives to, right? Um, and we may not be religious. Uh, someone doesn't have to be a Christian to be uh, living this out this way. But we all have idols. We all have gods. We all have things that we're worshiping and seeking after. Um, nope. Um, so there's a couple of ideas in this passage, I think we can take away as we look at this, as we consider the idea of slavery, of submission, of obedience. What is it in our hearts that uh, brings up fears? Where are those moments in our lives where uh, the anxiety bubbles up? Uh, where are those guilty pleasures, those secret indulgences? Where are those things where we find comfort, uh, security, hope? Uh, when we hear news of the economy taking a turn, what does that do to us internally as we think about our futures, as we see um, all the things happening in our world around us, in our own homes, what things kind of bubble up there? Uh, and those fears and those anxieties, they often reveal some of our idols, some of our addictions, some of the places we're looking for hope, right? Um, and so, uh, as we look at this passage about slavery, about obedience, either to God and his glory and his beauty, all the good gifts he gives, the eternal life that he gives, right? Or to sin that leads to more sin, lawlessness that breeds more lawlessness. Um, 
it really, we're looking at idolatry, right? The idea of idolatry is uh, what are we obedient to? What are we trying to serve? What are we looking to to give us something, right? That's what idols do. They promise you control over the weather or over your finances or over your fertility or, you know, ancient practices. That's what an idol was, is you give or do or serve it in this way and you get something back. This passage shows us what we get back, right? When we give to those things, when we serve those things, when we try to appease those idols, we get back death. Um, Tim Crouch, no, not Tim Crouch. He was a football player, I think, right? Anyone? No, <laughs> not Tim Crouch. Andy Crouch uh, has some great thoughts on, on idolatry. Uh, and, and he relates it to uh, addictive behavior and um, kind of obedience and where we turn our height, hearts. But he talks about with idols, and this is the same with addictions, they always promise you more than they give and they take more than they've said they will. You end up giving more and more and more and getting less and less and less in return, right? And that's the way with this passage, with a slave master of sin, you give more and more of yourself over to this, more and more of yourself following sin, and you get less and less back, and actually, ultimately, you get death. And you contrast that that's the just wages, right? The wages of sin is death. You contrast that with obedience. And, and what do you get for obedience to God? It's remarkable. It's not actually wages. We're not earning what we get in obedience to God, right? The wages of sin is death. But the gift, the gift of God is eternal life. Uh, so we're not just kind of getting payment for what might happen. We've already been given everything that we could need. Uh, It's really a a beautiful thing. We have been given everything in return. We don't have to give more, hoping we might get something back. We've already been given full, complete complete forgiveness in Christ. Um, And uh, that last verse that one we're most familiar with, there's a reason we're so familiar with it. The gift of God is eternal life. What a beautiful sentence, right? Um, and so this passage, slavery, sin, obedience, um, our obedience is a joyful one. It's a gift-giving one. It's one of freedom, um, and it's one of joy, right? Uh, in this passage, there's a pretty stark contrast, and even in idols, we kind of like to frame idols in our culture uh, and sin in our culture in certain ways. And it's a lot harder to do the subtle work, the inside work, to look at what might that look like. I don't have a golden calf sitting in my living room, right? Uh, I don't go down to a temple and sacrifice uh, whatever might be needed to try to appease God. Um, I'm not obeying sin and unlawlessness in the same way that this passage kind of highlights. So, but what does that look like? What does it look like for you? What does it look like for me? Um, where are we obedient to things that are not of God? And uh, I think this looks a lot of ways. Uh, it, it really can happen without being noticed, right? It happens under the cover of culture. We grow up in a place and a time and things look 
a certain way and happen a certain way. And there's all these pressures, all these voices, whether it's, uh, you know, arts, music, politics, you kind of pick your public sector, your, your whatever uh, reality in our world. And uh, we're kind of obedient. We, we follow along with it. We're born into an age and a culture and a place, and we kind of just follow along if we're not examining that life, if we're not allowing God to breathe life into those areas. It happens under the, the subtlety of our sin, happens under the cover of family of origin, right? Uh, and uh, if you've been to a marriage counselor, you kind of pull these things out, maybe even your premarital counseling, you, you kind of start to look like, oh, I bring this to the table, and that's not the way it has to be. And actually, it might be an unhealthy thing. I need to change. But we don't see those things, right? Um, we have all sorts of ways where our obedience is things that are not for God. We can be obedient to a reputation, an image, our social media, our need to kind of present a picture of ourselves. We can be obedient to our checkbooks and our bank accounts and the need to make sure those numbers are where we want them. We can be obedient to uh, making sure we've got the perfect happy home life or the uh, perfect job or all these different things. Um, and even more hidden often is, is those secret sins, our lusts, our passions, our impulses, uh, the things done alone or in the dark uh, that take us places we know we shouldn't be, right? Um, this sin, this obedience, it happens. And what Paul wants us to see in this passage and in last week's passages, we don't need to be there, right? That's the beauty of this passage and this beauty of, of this book of Romans. Paul is showing us we're not what we once were. When Jesus Christ died in our place, like we saw in last week's passage about dying with him, it was so that we can be raised with him to a new place, to a new life, to a new hope full of joy and peace, to a place of comfort, a place of freedom in God. Uh, and that's the last thing in this passage. That's the way it ends, right? The free gift of God is eternal life. Uh, we've been given everything. We didn't have to earn it. We didn't have to obey, and then we get it. We were given it, and now we get to obey. We've been given everything in Christ Jesus. And so obedience to Christ is different than obedience to sin, which leads to death. Obedience to Christ is because we've been redeemed, because we've been restored, because the Spirit's at work in us. Obedience to Christ is full of joy and freedom. The rhythms of grace look different than the rhythms of sin in our lives. And, uh, and that's the hope that Paul wants to offer, the free gift of God. Um, when we're living in grace, when we're experiencing God's goodness, his nearness, his love, his desire to be with us as our master, as someone who can be that voice, be that force, the power in our lives through his spirit to obey, uh, Obedience feels free. It feels free. It feels joyful. Um, and it's unforced. And the payout for that has already been given. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones has a fantastic illustration 
uh, of, of this passage that I want to um, look at here and, and kind of close with. Uh, and in it, he, he wants you to imagine, he's, he's British, he's English, uh, so in it, he's, you know, imagine two British fields, kind of traditional, you know, British fields, farmland, pasture land, that kind of thing. And they're, they're each enclosed, a uh, high fence around them, right? And one field is ruled by one master, by sin, ruled by death, ruled by Satan. And he gives the orders there and he demands obedience of those that are in that field, right? And in the field next door, it's ruled by the good shepherd, right? It's ruled by God, uh, whose burden is easy and his yoke is light, who gives us freedom, who leads us to places of green pasture and still water. Okay, and so you have these two fields, and you can't get from one to the other. If you're in the one, you actually don't know about the other until someone tells, right? It's not like you're peering over the fence and like, oh, maybe we should go over there. It takes a rescuer to come into that field. And so Jesus Christ comes and he moves you from one field to the other, right? But these fields are side by side. So you're in this place of freedom now. You've been delivered. This place of plenty, this place of promise, this place of hope with a new master who is kindly and good and loving and tender and patient. Uh, But Satan and our sin can still speak over the fence, right? We're in this good field and there's a voice. There's voices. Our sin calls out to us. We've come from a place of toil, of hardship, a place that leads to death. And we we still can hear this voice and we can hear this calling. We can hear the enemy of our souls uh, saying, you know what? You really should be doing it this way when your master over here in this good place is saying, enjoy this place as I've intended. And we still hear this voice and um, that image of you can still hear that voice. That's part of our slavery our obedience is, which voice are we hearing? Are we attuned to that of the good shepherd, of our master, who brings life, who brings joy, who brings peace? Are we attuned to that voice of our enemy, the voice of our sin that wants to lead us in a different direction? Um, And I just love that because I I have moments in my life, and you you probably do as well, uh, where you can kind of feel that, right? You you can feel like, oh, I, I, okay, I need to stop now. Like, who am I hearing? How do I exercise discernment? This is the way I did things, or this is the way the world does things. This is the way my family did things. These are the habits I had. What, what, what does God's word say? What is his spirit leading me to do? Um, and uh, I just want to encourage you. The picture Paul is painting here uh, he wants us to see the beauty of Christ, right? He wants to see us how good it is to be in relationship with him and to know that that relationship produces freedom and it produces life and that obedience to God brings joy. Um, the good news is really that good where you escape this field of death and of destruction and you're moved to this place where it's a joy to follow our master. Um, the image of slavery is, is ugly, but Paul uses it for a very, very clear reason here. He wants us to see 
how good it is to follow God, how joyful it is to follow God. Um, as we close here, um, i got just a couple questions here. Are you experiencing freedom and joy in obedience? Have you experienced God's grace in a way where the idea of obeying, of surrendering, of submitting to God is actually a joy? I've gone through seasons of life where that's really hard, where obedience to God feels dutiful. It feels like drudgery. It feels, uh, I don't know, you, you may have your own list of emotions, uh, where it can be hard, right? Uh, but when you truly taste and see that God is good, that obedience should feel like freedom. It should feel like joy. We get to follow Jesus. And that's a, a beautiful, wonderful thing. What might be some hidden or difficult to root out ways that you are being something besides God? Uh, is there uh, family stuff, patterns that kind of keep playing out? Are there things in our culture around us where you kind of are along for the ride without taking that time to discern? Is this wise? Does this honor God? Does this help me love God and love people? Um, or is it something hidden, right? Is there impulses and lusts and addictions and idols that are far more subtle in our hearts that uh, are calling for our allegiance? Um, are you rejoicing in the free gift of God through Jesus Christ? Um, and then who in your life needs to have burdens lifted by hearing the good shepherd's voice? Who do you know Maybe they're still in that other field and you can introduce them to Jesus who can bring them to good pasture. Or maybe they're following Christ and they're having a hard time hearing and listening to truth and to the goodness of God. How can you help them hear that voice that brings them to the place of rest, of peace, of comfort in, uh, in this field of our Lord? Um, we're going to uh, turn to uh, worship again here. You guys can come up. Um, but we're going to close with uh, communion um, and uh, with worship. Uh, we have people in the back that would love to pray with you. Uh, take advantage of that. Uh, it's, it's a joy to be prayed for and to pray with others. Uh, and then giving. There's boxes out back. There's QR codes. Uh, it's on the website as well. Um, but communion here at Hope, uh, you don't have to be a member here. Uh, you don't have to have gone through a class, uh, anything that. We, we would love for you, though, if you are going to partake, to be someone who has trusted in Christ, who is experiencing him as uh, the good Lord, as a master uh, of your life. And so as worship plays, you can head out and, and take communion. You can uh, stop to be prayed for and... Um, and then we'll uh, close up here. So let me pray and then Jordan and Rachel. Uh, Heavenly Father, um, you are good. Uh, you are kind. Uh, obedience and surrender and the idea of slavery uh, kind of repulse our modern senses in many ways. Uh, they don't align with what our culture tells us about discovering ourselves and you do you and um, whatever other lies are out there, Father. Uh, but you call us to, uh, to servitude, to slavery, to righteousness. 
Uh, you call us to obedience. Uh, you call us to the joy and freedom in your Son. And so I pray that we would know that, that we would uh, experience your grace and your love in a way that uh, brings about joyful, willing, uh, heartfelt, unforced obedience to you, Father, uh, so that we can experience all the goodness you have for us in this life and the life to come. Uh, we thank you for this morning, for worship, for the chance to gather. And uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one last thing, and I forgot this, but it's important. Paul uses this language of slavery, uh, and it's not the first time it showed up in the book. If you go to the very beginning of Romans, that's, that's how he introduces himself. Paul, a slave to the gospel. Paul, a slave to God. Uh, and so he's taken this concept that brings out in us and in his readers this strong kind of visceral reaction. He says, the joy of the Lord and the fellowship with him is so profound, so good, that even the idea of slavery to him is beautiful to serve this God that loves us.